Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman. I say this is a podcast on happiness because it's been a goal of mine to find out what that means. When I finally did realize what it meant, that came with the understanding that my happiness is unique to me. And in a dualistic world, that would mean someone else's unhappiness would be unique to them. I've found myself having more conversations like the one you're about to hear with Will. And if this conversation resonates with you, I would be incredibly grateful if you would share it with a friend who you think might enjoy it as well. These conversations are important to me because I've had a very sheltered life. I was insulated in middle suburbia as a kid and grew up with all of the privilege a parent might hope for their child. That was never really a secret to me. I knew I was fortunate and I knew there were others who weren't. But what I failed to realize growing up and what to a very real degree I'm still learning is that there are people in our lives, I'd venture to say almost every one of our lives, who have dealt with severe trauma at some point or are currently dealing with severe trauma. To me, and maybe Will would correct me here, there is no expectation or singular avatar for what a person who has dealt with trauma could or should look like. For some, their trauma is part of their story, and telling their stories is how they have been able to show up in this world as the person they need to be. For others, it's hidden just beneath the surface, often impossible for the ones around them to detect that anything's wrong at all. That's why these conversations are so important for us, to not just understand our own happiness, but to better grasp its antithesis and how we can use that understanding to relieve just a bit of suffering in this world. Will Randall is a therapist who specializes in working with people with extreme experiences and structural dissociation. This might include trafficking, organized abuse and child pornography survivors, sexual and physical trauma, and some combat experiences. He works mostly from a body and biology perspective informed by Buddhist practices. He only took one psychology class and he got a C-. Please welcome my guest. Will Randall. Will, how's it going? I'm a little fried and a little tired, but it's good enough. Oh, good. You know, it's not um, it's not every week that I get to do uh, these conversations when it's dark out, so it's always a, a unique perspective for me. So I'm looking forward to to talking with you. Nice, excellent. Um, I know it's been uh, shoot, it's probably been a month or, or so since the last time we spoke. I, it sounds like you're, you're quite the busy man recently. Yeah, kind of a little busier than I probably want to be, but it's, I guess in business, it is better to have too much than not enough. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I find myself, uh, facing that similar issue right now. I know we're in very, very, very different businesses, but, um, I'm with you. You just, it's hard to say no sometimes <laughs> because you can see those dollar signs, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're doing everything and you're maintaining some uh, some sanity. That that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in your world, though, I mean, being busy, I, I don't necessarily know that that's a good thing. I mean, is is I mean, <laughs> the, the the work you're doing. I mean, people need you, obviously, right? 
It would appear to be so, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other people in my field too, but yeah, I'm definitely, it is not an awesome reflection on kind of the state of humanity that I am overemployed. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I, I guess I'll just come out and ask it. I mean, has, has, uh, have you become exponentially more busy in the past 18 months than you have been previously in your career? No. No? Okay. No. Uh-uh. For a lot of my folks, actually, um, COVID and the pandemic has been weirdly relaxing. That's good. Yeah. It's because everyone is acting on the outside how they actually experience life kind of internally. Yeah. Yeah. Has that, um, I, I mean, so has, has that, I don't know, from, from your perspective, has that helped in some of the, the healing process? I mean, I, I guess for the sake of, for the sake of my mind, I, I know I, I have an idea of what you do, but I don't know, necessarily know how deep you go. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, what type of work you, you will be doing with, with, uh, yeah, you're, you're the people that you work with. And so I'm just curious how that work has changed as COVID has kind of grown and evolved in this world? I don't know exactly that it has. I mean, in all frankness. So like, I don't, I'm a pretty niche practitioner. Yeah. So, um, is that something that you've already talked about or that's up on your website or something like that? Like the kind of folks I work with usually? Yeah, you we we've got uh, your your bio at the beginning of this um of this episode too. So it's it's kind of a uh, I don't know. I, I I'm just tr- I'm trying to get a feel for cuz obviously we both know Lisa Bond. Uh, we've got that mutual connection oh, yeah. and, and we've got a, a mutual friend as well and you know mm-hmm. I I know a bit about Lisa's work and her work with DBT and um that's been fascinating to learn about. Super different than that. So um I actually specialize mostly with extreme trauma. So most okay. of the folks that I work with are I mean, just to be really direct, survivors of like child pornography, trafficking, snuff pornography, incest, um, fairly long-term and extreme trauma, usually the kind you don't really read about, Yeah, um, kind of people you don't talk about. I do work with a lot of folks. Actually, you know, not, not currently. I have worked with a lot of folks in combat, but it's also usually like unusual combat. Like yeah. men who served with like Mac V Sog or who had done like, you know, work with like, you know, Marine Recon or stuff like that or military intelligence. So most of the folks that I work with have really extreme um, experiences. And probably about 75% of my population of the good people I work with have like DID, like dissociative identity disorder, like level trauma. Yeah. So like, which is a lot different than DBT and Lisa's work is awesome, but yeah. So I'm usually like this, the seventh or eighth therapist or healthcare provider or whatever that people end up finding, because when you have that kind of trauma, you don't always cognitively know you have that kind of trauma. Right. Like a, a good example is during the Me Too movement which, I mean, it's still ongoing. Right. Almost nobody that I came into any contact with were publishing blogs about Me Too, I was used in child pornography. Or Me Too, I was trafficked and used in, like, snuff or torture porn. Right. Um, And very few people, even, like, Me Too, I was, you know, like, raped by my father for, you know, 25, 
years. Yeah. Those are usually the kind of folks I've worked with who have those kind of experiences. So it's a little bit on the far side of my field, even like with trauma specialists. Yeah. And I want to, I want to come back to that, but I, first I want to touch on, um, working with those who have seen combat. I, I recently had a conversation with a gentleman named Dan Sheehan. Uh, he served in the, the Marine Corps, um, late nineties, uh, early aughts. Uh, he, he saw nine 11, he saw Iraq, Afghanistan, and, uh, we had, a, we had a good conversation on PTSD. And I, 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 as I was having that conversation, I realized I, one, had never really had a real conversation around it, and two, never actually spoken with a veteran about what that has, how that had affected them. And I mean, and I'm oversimplifying this, and I, I hope you'll correct me that, you know, you're basically always in fight or flight mode, even in, you know, the the most mundane of situations. And I mean, when you talk about working with those who have seen combat, I mean, how, I, I, don't, I don't know how that is how you overcome that. And I'm just, I'm, I'm curious what your work is like working with, uh, veterans of that sort. I think overcoming is, and I totally mean no one's when I say this, a useless term. Sure. Um, it's like getting over it. Right. One doesn't actually get over any kind of extreme experiences. So the, the guys that I've worked with, I'm just sort of condensing information. So if I go real silent for a second, you're fine. It's all good. So that I'm not just like rambling and rambling. Yeah. It was learning to connect the parts of themselves that had those experiences that took those actions that saw, smelled, felt, tasted, touched, et cetera. All of those experiences which could not integrate with who they had thought themselves to be or who they had known themselves to be or who they wanted to be. Um, a lot of the men I'd worked with, a lot of what we ended up doing was slowing down and slowing down and slowing down those memories, those flashbacks and those experiences so they could actually study the experience kind of organizer by organizer. Right. So by, by core organizer, I mean like a human nervous system is just a bunch of rivers of information. Right. Like, you know, touch, taste, olfaction, interoception, proprioception, um, emotions, impulses to movement, much less visual thought, cognition, uh, object relations, all of this stuff. These are all separate rivers and your thinking brain kind of weaves them into a rope and says, this is you. So when a person goes through that extreme experience, I'm speaking of PTSD, not DID, they are radically different animals Um, or even complex trauma, which is a different animal than PTSD. Right. Um, It's all of those aspects of yourself that had those experiences that just don't, they don't match. They don't gel. They don't literally integrate yeah with everything that came before like it's like really simple like i work with like a number of 9-11 like a 9-11 survivors um i have a lot of family that are in like fdny and stuff like that but um who were there and like what one of the things like one of my 9-11 survivors describes is just like the person that she was before 
the plane hit the tower just is almost unrelated to the person she was as the tower was coming down yeah. and as bodies were dropping and as, and just, I mean, one, just the, the, the sensory overload. Um, but for most of the guys in combat I've worked with, who's different than that, like that 9-11 service is coming right there. She was largely a witness. Yeah. That's really different than being an actor. Right. Like one of the vets I worked with who had done a lot of stuff in Vietnam and Cambodia and other places. And he was a great dude. He was a dude that I would have loved to have known in a different way. He was a guy that would be just a great guy to get a beer with. Yeah. He was a good man and he was a kind man. And he was a man that had, I think probably killed maybe hundreds of people. Yeah. And some of them were non-combatants. Many of them, he couldn't tell if they were combatants or not. And I remember what was stuck. So we, as we kept slowing down his memory systems, especially of like a couple of running firefights that he'd had, like trying to make it back to the border. And the frozen moments, those aspects of himself that got frozen, he actually was never particularly, he, he was afraid, but not that, that was never really the focus of like what had traumatized him. Right. The part of him that had been frozen was the part that wanted to not kill anyone. Is, and what we found out was those migraines he had, all those freezes he had, what was getting stuck is he wanted to basically scream, like, stop coming at me. Like, yeah. I'm going to kill you. Just please don't come at me, and then I don't have to kill you. Yeah. And what made that really interesting is as a man, as a dad, as a husband, as a guy walking in a Trader Joe. Um, how do you be that guy who picks up your son and like gives him a bottle in the middle of the night? Is the same guy that blew up a village that also right. had children or moms, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, how can I be that same man? Like I, I and, and that was a lot of what we were integrating is how that man relates to the man who's talking to his adult son, who's picking up his grandchildren, who's it basically froze his ability to like do any of those things for a long time. And that's, I mean, I think that's what I see, what I've seen a lot of. And I'm not saying that my perspective is the only right perspective. Right. That my perspective is like, this is the definitive ah, man, I only know what I've seen and I only know what what I've done, like with people. Yeah. So like, and I guess working with a lot of the guys I've known who, who did stuff they both did and didn't want to do. Like th there was like a warrior's pride. He was like, we didn't lose a man. Like of our 10-man right. team, we didn't right. lose, but they lost all of theirs. And that's not a wrongful pride per se. Right. But then there's also the grief of like, I killed men that I didn't know. I went into their country, into their homes and I shot them or stabbed them or exploded them or whatever. Yeah. And allowing that both of those things could exist at the same time, in the same human. Do you see, do you see a lot of compartmentalization um, in these, in these men? And is that a part of, the process prior to trying to cope with B 
being one or the other, or is or is that something separate? I mean, do you see? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, let me actually approach it from this way. And again, yeah. I don't actually particularly specialize in PTSD. Right. I actually specialize more in like DID and complex trauma because again, they're really different organizations. Yeah. Like, and I would actually say that PTSD and DID, it's not even like a real spectrum sort of thing. They're really different experiences and very different nervous systems. Okay. But what I guess I saw, and I'm still thinking about the dude I was thinking of who had served with like studies and observations group in Vietnam, Mackley Song, um, a lot of which was illegal. In fact, I think all, most of what they did was technically illegal. Is there's no integration socially. Right. So, this guy comes back home after doing the things that he did. There's no recognition of it. There's no circle. There's no, what happened? What did you see? What did you feel? There's no, it's just, he's like, I walk off of a plane. I get off the tarmac. I get debriefed. And then, and then I'm a guy. Yeah. But I'm walking around and I can smell the smells and I can hear the things. And I know what I can do. And no one else around me does. And I'm suddenly like, I'm like a ghost. And that's, I, 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 I think the basis of the experience that a lot of, a lot of the soldiers I know had. Yeah. Like one of the Marines I worked with don't mess with Texas mother. Like I like that dude a lot. And again, most of the folks I'm working with have abuse histories prior. Like they have abuse histories before they joined like the Marines or like the army or whatever. Like it's, it's just, that's how they usually get referred to me. It's like, yeah. they have like a shit ton of trauma. Anyhow, one of the things that he would describe is just, it just wouldn't relate. Yeah. He was like, I, like, he's like, I, I had to hit a kid in the face with my rifle barrel. And, and then I'm being thanked for my service. And like, and he was like saying like, well, who, who the F was I serving? Like who benefited from, right all the suffering who benefited from all the things that I did. Are we like stronger as a nation now? Are they stronger as a nation? Is Iraq a better place now? Is Afghanistan is Vietnam is, are any of these places like better? Are we actually more safe or more secure because of like all the crap I went through and all the crap, like I saw my friends go through and all the guys that got hurt or fucked up or killed or died or did things they can't come back from. Right. Like, and that's what basically made him like, he's like, this is part of why, like, I can't integrate because we as a society don't integrate. We as a society, like, I mean, socially, like, oh, thank you for your service. Like, and I remember that guy saying to me, he's really directly, and he was proud to be a Marine. Yeah. I, I actually don't know any more Marines I met that weren't proud to be Marines. So, like, yeah. Yeah. And he liked having, he, he liked being a Marine, but what he didn't like was that like, what, 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 ex- what exactly is the service I'm providing? Like, what exactly is it that we're being used for? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I mean, the, the, the point that you bring up as us as civilians thanking him or her or anybody for their service I don't think we have the answer to that either. I mean, it's what we're supposed to say. And I think we genuinely mean it. The, the fact that, you know, our freedoms are being protected, but we 
either don't want to understand or just don't yeah, even. I'm, I'm going to interrupt because even the phrase you just said, well, our freedoms and such are being protected. Right. How the hell do you know? Right. Uh, How I do know. I know? It's, because it, it's, the it's, federal it's, government is saying that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, and I am actually like in no way Republican or Democrat. Right. When the hell was the last time I actually saw the federal government doing things, especially abroad, where I'm like, this is protecting us. I know. This is improving us. Yeah. And my experience, and this might be controversial, it might not be, people in power are there because they want power. Yeah. So there are outliers. There are weirdos, like both on the right and on the left and yeah. independent or whatever, that are actually in government because they want to make things better. Or they have an actual platform or an agenda, right. and they're usually pretty bald about it. But for the most part, uh, people are in positions of power because they really want power. Yes. So when they say, like, this is protecting us, I mean, like, <laughs> can you name a, a president that doesn't lie? No. Can you name a government that doesn't lie? And I'm not just saying this about the United States. Oh, I know. I know. So, like, so coming back to you like that, well, what are they actually being used for? What What is all the suffering and the pain and oh, what is that great line from the Thin Red Line? Not the book, the movie. It's uh, how does our ruin benefit the earth? Does it help the grass to grow? Does it help the sun to shine? It's a great question to ponder. Um <sighs> To and and speaking of quotes from movies, I've only seen the the trailer for it, but uh, the the new Dune film. There's a there's a, a quote in it, and I may be butchering it, but in regard to leaders, I mean, great leaders are called to lead. They're not they're not there to do it because that's going to scratch an itch for them. And I I, I truly feel like we have not had a a leader who was called to the position in, you know, some time. And I, I wish that w- were not the case. Yeah. I wish that were not the case too. Yeah. Um, DID, I just want to clarify. So is that disassociative identity disorder? Is that what that is? Yeah. And let me be really specific about that. Cause there's a lot of weirdness right now that, and I'm old. So like I ain't on TikTok, I ain't on any of that stuff. <laughs> oh, I keep getting called for consultation on it. Yeah. Technically, and uh, if you're a really big fan of the DSM, like I think you should throw that crap out. I think the DSM is an entirely useless book for the most part. Now clarify, uh, because I, I don't know what DSM is. Oh, the DSM is the um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. I think they're in the fifth one. That's all the mental health disorders out there. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a useless book. Um, so, and I'm actually being really specific with what DID is. Okay. What DID is, is how a specific human nervous system responds to consistent, repetitive, and overwhelming trauma occurring in kind of a background of neglect. Uh, Is it okay to use bad words? Yeah, go for it. Attachment fuckery at best. Yeah. Um, It's a nervous system that cannot tolerate all of the intolerable things that have been thrown at it since before it could talk. Right. So DID isn't like, oh, I have these different personalities and I want you to meet them all. And let me talk about them all. Each part of that, that person's nervous system, like 
I'll be really direct about it because I really dislike the, like the Guardian actually published that an article on R. Kelly a couple weeks ago, and they said that he provided unwanted sexual contact with minors. That's child rape. Right. What does unwanted sexual contact <laughs> with minors even mean? It's this weird like avoidance of actually being direct. Yeah. Yeah. So if my dad is raping me several times a week at night and I got to have breakfast with that dude. Right. And my mom might actually know what he's doing. Right. But she's like, better you than me. How do I be the same kid that has breakfast with my dad that was raped by him just like say six hours earlier? Yeah. I, I, I can't be. And what you see is a nervous system that splits. So the term dissociation is like, I'm going to try to keep it real simple. It's basically when a nervous system unplugs parts of itself from itself, mediated by endogenous opiates and cannabinoids. Yeah. So like how your computer is like a zeros and ones machine, basically, right? Well, your nervous system on a very complex level is a connect slash disconnect machine. So what happens is specific functions, memory systems, and memory is not your thinking brain. That's like, ah, the tiniest little part of your memory. Right. Your reflexes. So like, ah, the false memory syndrome people, like, I mean, I could convince you like through therapy or through drugs or whatever, or hypnosis that you're a Kung Fu master. But when it's time to fight, where's your Kung Fu? (laughs) Right. There's no memory. There's just thinking. Yeah. So. When I say memory, I mean smells and sensations and touches and numbness and yada, 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 and impulses and reflexes. That's memory. That thinking part of you, that's just a cherry on top of a sundae. So folks with DID, all those different parts, they're not random. They're all highly functional and they're holding specific actions, impulses, memories, desires, tastes, experiences that then have to be disconnected from the present experience. Because again, if my mom walked in on my dad raping me last night, looked at both of us and then walked right out of the room and now I'm having breakfast with them. Now I have to go take a geography test. Right. And if I get a C on that geography test, I'm going to get my ass beat. So how can I be the kid at the breakfast table, the kid being raped, and the kid getting an A on my geography test at the same time. I can't. It's not functional. That's the idea. And I've never seen a useful representation of it in TV or media for the most part. So like, because they always kind of want to gloss over that. They're like, oh, they have dissociative identity disorder and, or like whatever the crap. And they're just like, oh, because they, they were hurt this one time. Which that's just going yeah. happen. Like that's, that's actually what DID is. And most of the folks that I work with are some of the best and having DID doesn't make you a good person. The same way having massive trauma doesn't make you a good person. Right. If that were true, our prison systems would probably be the safest, kindest, wisest places in the world. And they're not like I've been in some of those and man, I don't ever want to go back. Like scared straight programs scared the crap out of me. I was like, I don't want to ever be in this place. It's terrible. Um, But most of the folks that I work with, they're heroes. 
They're people who ate all the abuse. They ate all the trauma, all the horror, and they don't dish it out to anyone else. They absorbed it. These are people who just like uh, what you're asking about, like, you know, members of the armed forces. There's no recognition. There's no social recognition of this is who you are and this is what you did. And these are the actions you took and this is how you affected it. And welcome back, man. Yeah. Like there isn't any of that. So disintegration inside of a person's nervous system is actually a pretty direct reflection of the disintegration uh, we have in our society. That's interesting. Um, it's very Buddhist. Yeah. And I, I want to get more into that, um, but I, I want to briefly touch on, I mean, you, you talked about the DSM, which I had not heard of before, but, and also in regard to mental health disorders, obviously there's been a big national, international conversation around mental health over the last several years. And I'm obviously the conversation has shifted and there's been more focus on improving our mental health, which I, I personally think is a, a great thing. But I'm, I'm curious in regard to, from a clinical standpoint, I mean, is our, is there a better understanding now of where some of our, some of, of, of the, our mental health disorders stem from, how they're t- uh, better treated? I'm, I'm, I, if, if you're up for it, we can talk about, you know, some of the uh, psychedelic research that's being done. I'm just, I'm curious what has shifted over the past five or 10 years in, the, in that study. So, I mean, like, I guess, I mean, like, again, I would say, like, if we look at, like, say, 40 years ago, it's a really low bar. Yeah. Like, yeah. Our awareness of mental health and, like, has that improved? Like, yeah, but again, that's a really low bar. <laughs> right. Um, so what I have seen, and, okay, I'll present two sides. I see more and more people connecting cause and effect. Yeah. Like, my, my probably main critique of the DSM is the DSM says, well, this is depression and here are the symptoms of depression. They don't actually tell you what the hell it is. It's like saying, well, here's a rash. So, and we know that rashes get creams, rashes get creams. Right. So when you go to the ER and you say like, I have this really painful rash. Well, is it caused by like uh, a recluse bite that got staph infected? Right. Is it caused by poison ivy? Is it caused by scabies? Or maybe you have shingles or like, I don't know, sometimes people have like COVID rashes or like, are you on too many antibiotics? All of these quote unquote rashes have really different etiologies, really different cause and effect. So to say, well, I have anxiety. Does it tell me shit? <laughs> All it tells me is that it's probably adrenaline based. Yeah. So for example, even the effects. So like if you have endogenous disorders, like uh, endogenous meaning like it's organic in nature, genetic, right. like anorexia or obsessive compulsive disorder, that shit will generate some seriously lethal anxiety. Yeah. And that is unrelated to quote unquote anxiety disorders, which right. technically PTSD is called an anxiety disorder, not a traumatic disorder. Like PTSD and DAD are even different parts of the DSM which is inane. Um, yeah. That being said, I don't actually own a copy of the DSM-5. So, whatever. But, so, without really looking at it, there is always cause and effect. Yeah. So, when a person says they're depressed, usually the first thing that I'm looking for after I can rule out any organic stuff, um, organic stuff might be like, are you really hungover every day? Do you right. drink every day? Are you an alcoholic? Right. Like that's kind of depressing. Um, 
or I don't know, like when people have like COVID and brain fog, it can appear as depression right. or look like depression. But usually with the folks that I see, it means I'm isolated. Nobody sees me. I'm invisible, like functionally invisible. Even in a room of people, I'm invisible. So for example, that, uh, that great guy that I worked with who had done stuff in Vietnam and Cambodia, when he was in a room of people, he was invisible. Yeah. If you have DID, you're totally invisible pretty much everywhere you go. You look normal. You're acting normal. You're doing all the people things, but nobody sees you. That right there, isolation causes depression. If I am angry and I can never act on it, like if people at work are touching me and I don't want to be touched, if people at work are constantly making fun of me or each other and I can't do anything about it, I can't say no, I can't say whatever. If I work in an environment like, I don't know, where I'm not treated as a human being, but I'm constantly just getting like fucked with, humiliated, belittled, treated like, I don't know, a cog in a wheel. Yeah. Then I'm going to have a lot of anger and I have to suppress that anger or dissociate that anger. Now you start to have depression. If I have grief and sadness and you notice these are all social emotions. Yeah. So there are some emotions that are not particularly social that are way more animal like straight fear. That's, that's an animal. Re- that's a deep animal, primitive emotion, right. but sadness, grief, social anger, like process anger. If, if my dad died and no one really knows about it, I never got to grieve. I never got to da 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 da. Or let's say like I had a miscarriage. I just lost a baby that I could feel like there was a living being in my body that I was making out of my body. Yeah. And that, and that, that human died in me. And a week later I'm back at work and everyone goes, I'm so sorry. Now you start to have depression. So, and anxiety is the same, but I would say for more adrenaline based emotions, anger, fear, panic. So like in terms of studying the cause and effect, like that real life experiences give rise to real life effects. Yeah. That's a lot of what I do see missing, even in my field. Like when I'm training, teaching, supervising, like consulting, whatever, I'm constantly pushing to be like, well, be precise. They're like, well, my patient was, has, has a sexual abuse history. I'm like, great. What happened? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, I, I don't really know. And it's like, well, that's a player. Like, and it's not just what happened with the, you know, like being raped or molested or whatever. What surrounded it? That is really important to be precise about because if you want to help someone heal and be mentally healthy, you got to see them like clearly. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting to me. I mean, why 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 do you think that practice is is seemingly so rare? I mean, is it just a numbers thing where you see so many people day in and day out that you don't have you can't possibly know every possible you know. Uh, cause for every single symptom or yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm curious about that. I think it's actually a training thing and it's a discomfort thing. Yeah. So as therapists, we're actually often taught weirdly to avoid painful topics. So like, so Pat, Pat Ogden, I come from like a, almost all my background in therapy is biology and Buddhism. Okay. Right. So like yeah. how bodies work and how minds and happiness work. And and also because uh, most of psychology 
seems like old white dudes trying to make themselves feel comfortable <laughs> about really uncomfortable shit. So like, you know, like, ah, that seems useless to study. Yeah. Um, the bodies and happiness and minds, that seems useful to study. Yeah. So, and I totally mean no offense to people who, you know, or really study psychology. But if I could fight one historical figure, it would be Carl Jung. And I would kick the snot <laughs> out of that Swiss jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I would... I think the first time we spoke, you said that you said that you'd slap Freud as well. Is that correct? I would slap hug Freud. I would give him oh. a slap and be like, "Cut it out!" And then I'd hug that guy. Okay, all like, right. It's hard, man. Yeah, know, it's hard. Um, but anyway, so I think it has to do with training and discomfort. So one of my teachers, a really amazing therapist, uh, Pat Ogden, she developed sensory motor psychotherapy out of Comey. She's a an amazing practitioner, um, super nice lady. Um, yeah, with a pretty crazy work ethic. Anyway, where was I going with that? I think we were talking about why you don't go deeper. Or you're oh, not taught to go deeper. Right. I tell us that. So she has this theory. Sorry. Again, like I saw a bunch of people today. So my brain. Is- <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. Anyway, so what she calls the window of tolerance. The window of tolerance is sort of like, the state of a nervous system in which it's actually still learning. It's oriented to the present conditions. So like, for example, when I'm doing memory work with somebody, when we're integrating memory, and Pat works mostly from the bottom up, bottom being like smell, touch, sensation, interoception, emotion, all that stuff. She really isn't leading with like, what do you see? What's the picture? What's the story? It's actually, you're listening to memory from the deepest level all the way up. So the window of tolerance is the state in which your patient is actually having a new experience, right? Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of patients who are totally in the window of tolerance, but they get shut down by therapists. So like I'm doing EMDR with this lady and she is a hardcore stone cold trafficking survivor of like weird, awful snuff pornography stuff. Yeah. Um, Snuff pornography does not often kill the victim. They just almost kill the victim because procuring a new victim and getting rid of a body is risky and costly. Right. But if I have someone that I've been conditioning since they were a kid, I can almost murder them. And that doesn't mean like, Oh, we're tricking the audience. No, that, that person is almost dying. Anyway, we're actually working, doing memory work. And this lady is tough as nails. Like I really liked her. She's super great. Um, and she starts throwing up and screaming. She's totally within the window of tolerance. She's actually completing the action that she needed to complete back when that frozen action in her body is throwing up is saying, no, is get this out of my mouth. Yeah. And any sane human would have been screaming, but almost every therapist that I had spoke to that she worked with before would shut her down the moment she would start to go there. They would be like, no, 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 we have to ground now. That's not about the patient. That's about the therapist. Right. That's about the therapist being like, I am screamingly uncomfortable with this. That's why. So like part of like what I'm trying to like train or supervise or teach is just helping the therapist expand their own window of tolerance to be able to see like horror and obscenity or just even volume, but still be clear in your mind and calm. I don't have to be calm actually. Yeah. Just present. Yeah. And be able to study it and see it and be like, oh, this lady's totally here right now. Like she wasn't 
she, she was not dissociated. She was not in the past. That reflex was in the present. She was here. And she just needed to barf her brains out and scream. Yeah. And we did that for about 20 minutes. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting there all zen and shit. It made me sweat. <laughs> I'm just really good at dissociating my own yeah. reactions from like, oh, that's interesting, but not useful to me at this moment. I kind of unplug it. Like, did I want to hear her scream? No. No, that would be weird and crazy. I was just willing to, and that's different. I mean, I couldn't have done that 10 years ago. Right. 15 years ago. It's taken a while. But that's that's why I think you see a lot of that avoidance. That's I think the same way why a lot of Americans say to like returning servicemen, thank you for your service, which is really different than what happened. Yeah. What happened to you? What did you see? Because you don't want to know. What's it like? Exactly. You don't want to know. Yeah. So I do see that with a lot of therapists where they're like, I don't want to know about her her dad raping her. Yeah. I don't want to know about like the special outfit that he made her wear. And for me as a therapist, I'm like, I actually don't want to know about that shit either, but I'm willing to. And that's different. Yeah. Because if it's in front of me, I want to see it. If it's in front of me, I want to, I want to see it with the person. You know, you, you brought up an interesting point and I'm, I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint, you talk about, obviously you don't want to hear these things, but you're able to, dis, to disassociate. So you, so I guess, so you're not becoming uncomfortable. I'm probably saying that wrong, but I, I feel like there are times in my life where I'm putting in an, in an uncomfortable situation where I'm able to cope or deal or, or whatever. And I, I don't have a, a physiological reaction to it and I'm able to maintain a level of mind. So when it comes to being able to, I don't know. I guess the, the simplest question I can ask is, are there good types of dissociation versus bad types? No. It, dissociation is just dissociation. Okay. So it's not like good or bad. So like, and I, I study my own experience a lot as a therapist as I kind of have to. Yeah. So most of what I dissociate in session is any desire to not want to be there. Right. So what I notice, there are parts of me that are like, I don't want to look at this. Like, I don't want to see what this person is seeing. Usually my internal response is being like, yeah, that's fair. And we're going to look at it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's totally legit. And I'll kind of literally unplug the part of me that doesn't want to be here. I acknowledge it. I respect it. Cause I'm like, nobody wants to be here. Like I can assure you my patient sure as shit doesn't want to be here. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I guess my follow-up to that is how did you get there? Was that through training? Was that through meditation? Was that through studying of Buddhism? <laughs> it was a lot of different things. So um, partly I'm, I mean, like I understand traumatic dissociation like pretty well from a first person experience. Right. Isn't, they say I feel a lived experience, which I'm like, ah, I don't know that I call it that. I just call it a shit experience, but yeah. Like, and that's helpful in some ways because it lets me like kind of study the cause and effect. Um, I would actually say the sensory motor training, which was crazy intense because you're offering yourself up to these other people. So the, all the therapists in this like training, I think it was like eight year training. I mean, I'm still doing it. I'm still like assisting and consulting and blah, blah, blah. But I'm having to offer up my own traumatic experiences for other people to practice on and vice versa. Yeah. That really helped a lot too. Um, 
by Buddhist practice, which uh, Kadampa Buddhism, it's Vajrayana, it's awesomely, stupidly methodical. Like, I remember trying to, like, you know, coming out of, like, being Irish Catholic or whatever, I go to, like, these Zen classes. Yes, they were all going to meditate now. I'm like, great, great. What's meditation? He's like, you're going to find out. I'm like, oh, fuck you. Like, that's, that's not an answer, man. Yeah. What exactly is meditation? What's the action? And he'd be like, you'll only know it by experiencing it. I'm like, also not an answer. <laughs> well, I finally landed with Kadampa, the nun who was my first teacher, again, the Rachma, who's still a teacher and a really good lawyer and just a hilariously good human being. I'm like, so what exactly is meditation? She says, meditation is where you hold a virtuous object in your mind. You don't lose clarity and you don't lose stability. I'm like, oh. Okay, what's a virtuous object? She's like, an object of your mind that actually causes peacefulness over time. I'm like, okay, well then how do you do it? She's like, it's got five parts. The first part has got five, seven steps. And the first of those seven steps has three steps. Let's go. And I'm like, I love this. This makes sense. <laughs> it's basically like learning a martial art. Yeah. When you learn boxing, which is the second way that I think I got this way is been practicing fighting for a long time. Um, because I hate violence, so it makes sense to practice fighting, right? Right. It's kind of like avoiding a brick wall by like running at it. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of parkour too, like when I was younger, speaking yeah. of running walls. I so really I also run at brick walls um, and sometimes run right into them. So in both the meditation practice where you're really, really learning, I'm going to control my mind, but not in a rigid way. Right. And I'm basically going to control the actions my mind is doing. And then I would take that into like an MMA class or a Muay Thai class or a boxing class and be like, I'm going to meditate while this dude kicks the shit out of me or I kick the shit out of him. And it's usually not a kick in the shit out because like if you ever do martial arts, you know, it's actually like pretty friendly. All right. Um, I very rarely have been hurt significantly by anyone with proficiency. Usually it's like someone who's either kind of new yeah. You get scared, they get nervous, and suddenly like their fingers in your eye, or they suddenly go from like 10 miles an hour to like 90. <laughs> um, every, every now and then you meet somebody who's just like basically just trying to dunk on you. They're like, yeah. But that usually doesn't last too long because a coach will sit them down or like just always someone bigger and better. Yeah. So, like, so by trying to learn to like control my breath, control my mind while I'm putting like my knee in someone's like diaphragm or again, like they're dropping me on my ass because wrestlers as a thing. Um, that's the worst thing about sparring wrestlers is sooner or later, they're going to pick me up and they're just going to pow <laughs> on the ground. Like, I, this just going to happen sooner or later. Um, but if I can still be kind and still see that other person clearly yeah, and rejoice in that interaction, while I'm getting triggered or while I'm scared or while I'm suddenly like disorganized and like just covering my head and trying not to get murdered. If I could stay clear in my mind during that, well, it's a hell of a lot easier to do it in therapy, right? Yeah. So it was kind of purposeful training. I'm not saying that I recommend that it's a little extreme. I'm not saying all therapists should go and like, you know, get punched in the face. Or actually, you know, I think it actually would probably be pretty good for me. <laughs> That's um that's that's interesting. I I like that that sort of mindfulness and meditation around somebody that you 
I, I understand when you're when you're sparring, you don't have bad feelings towards someone, but you you maintain oh, yes. that. Well, that's fair. You know, I, I I've, I've caught myself recently in the past probably six months or a year. I'll be watching a, a movie, probably specifically, and you know most movies have bad guys, and I've tried to take myself away from the story for a minute and realize that this this person isn't necessarily I mean first of all I'm trying to like the actor while disliking their character and then I'm trying to understand what it would take to like this this villain and it's been it's been an interesting thought exercise just trying to either relate or empathize with the person on screen and not harbor negative feelings toward them while still enjoying the story um it's been fascinating to do that and it's allowed me to kind of not, it's as silly as it sounds, not get mad at the TV or the movie no, or that's the show. made a practice. That's actually, and on that one, like uh, Shanti Deva, Shanti Deva wrote, um, it's what, 7th century, whatever, um, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, which I think is one of the most complete teachings on the full Mahayana path. Um, it is a ridiculously useful Instruction manual. It's yeah. an instruction manual. But in the chapter on the perfection of patience, he basically says, if, um, if someone strikes me with a stick, why get mad at the stick? Rather, I should get mad at the person wielding the stick. Right. What he's actually describing is when I'm watching someone attack me, like judge me, attack me, maybe even try to be violent to me, I'm actually watching a mind. They don't actually see me. They're actually not seeing me clearly at all. Yeah. Their empathy isn't there. Their sadness isn't there. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to defend myself or take actions or movements. It just means I want to see them clearly. Yeah. So why be angry at like I remember this. Um is it okay if I tell a brief story? Yeah, please. Are you kidding? Uh, Go ahead. And this story is in no way about my martial arts badassery because I have no martial arts badassery. Because <laughs> like, anyone who sparred with me will be like, that dude is sometimes super smooth and sometimes just really weird and twitchy and sometimes <laughs> in the same like five seconds, which is totally true. Anyway, so I went to, um, when I lived in Los Angeles, I lived in LA for like 15 years or so. Um, I try to go to this boxing class because I'm working like 55, 60 hours a week. So yeah. every now and then I get to go to class, I get really excited and nobody shows up. And I was like, ah, shit. But then, like, you know, the little voice in my head, the little compass says, you should just sit here at this 7-Eleven, which is right next door to the boxing gym. Just sit there in your big, stupid pants or whatever. More like my big, stupid parkour pants, which are super comfortable. They're the best pants ever. And I'm just sitting there trying to figure out why I'm sitting there when – this old Subaru, like an early eighties, kind of like moss green Subaru yeah. almost hits this guy's electric blue Mercedes Benz Range Rover looking thing, which LA is stupid with those trucks. The Mercedes Benz, like pseudo Range Rover looking thing. They're right. Um, and the guy misses it like by maybe half an inch. He stops just before he hits the door. It's like, Oh, and it's this guy that from the way he was dressed and the way his daughter was just, Probably um, Afghani, I'm kind yeah. of assuming. Um, but he stops and he looks, he's like, and I'm like, oh, you didn't hit it. But then this other dude, this big redheaded guy, and he's like, not necessarily muscly big, but he's just big. Um, he comes tearing out of 7-Eleven and he actually, and I'm quoting him, he said not things that I would say, but he's just like, you dowelhead motherfucker, you fucking hit my car, I can kill you. 
or he said something weird like, uh, like right. I'm going to take the price of that out on your hide or something like that. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's why I'm standing here. Like, okay. So I start to stretch and I'm stretching partly just to make sure that I'm putting away any part of me that's afraid. Yeah. Because I could see what this big redheaded dude is going to do. He's going to do something that's going to hurt himself really badly. Yeah. You don't come out of a 7-Eleven, beat the shit out of some old guy who hasn't done anything wrong, and then come back from that. Right. Like, it's going to injure this guy. Not the old guy, but the big guy. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. When he stepped up, then, like, I stepped up and I put my hand on his chest and it's just like, hey, man, like, it's, it's a good day to go sit down. Like, today's, today's a good day for that. Like, it's a good day to, like, just... Yeah, you know, and like when I say I put my hand in chest, like I'm like, you know, I'm in a stance, right? Other hand up, like I'm ready, but I don't really want to. And this guy didn't want to either. He just looked sad. He just looked like seriously unhappy and mother. So that's what I mean by the stick. Yeah. So rather than looking at his violence, violence is a stick. He's a dude that was like grieved. He was a guy that was like incredibly sad. And he felt powerless all the time. And he's just looking for someone to ding on. So why stare at the stick? Why be like, oh, he's like, you know, racist, violent asshole. He's just a man. He's just a guy. And he's just a guy that was really unhappy. And he was about to do something that was going to make him more unhappy. Yeah. So at least for me, that's like kind of the consistent practice. Like, like Langary Tangpo says, do not pity the tortured, pity the torturer, for his pain is just beginning. Yeah. Ah, that's, uh, I, I like what you just said, but that the, the, what you had said to that gentleman, it's a good day to go sit down. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's very powerful. That, that rings, that rings very true. Um, at least for me, it really resonates and I, I like that a lot. I appreciate you sharing that story. I mean, I was totally calm and, it's pretty happy at the time, but about ten minutes later, I it, all the stuff I dissociated came right up, and it was just, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Again, it's not a story about my badassery because I do not have any badassery. No, but I think I honestly, I mean that 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 could have gone a very different way, and maybe you kicked his ass. But I, I think, I mean, it's obvious the, what the 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 outcome of that situation was the best it could have been. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, th- th- who cares about being a badass? I mean, that to me, what you did is as badass as anything else. I was much happier with how things turned out. Yeah. Yeah. My point was, was it so much doing it for the old guy? It was just like that guy was about to do himself like a horrendous injury. Yeah. Like, again, like, how do you go home and pick up your son if you just kick the crap out of some stranger? Yeah. You're not actually even hitting your car. Yeah. Like, how do you go and be kind to your boyfriend or your wife? How do you go and, like, treat your coworkers with any kind of dignity when you just did that? You don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- we're coming up on an hour, but I, uh, before we wrap up, I, I want to ask uh, one last thing that I had written down at our, in our initial conversation. I mean, it's a, it's a simple question, but uh, it's a very complex ans- answer. And it sounds like I, th- I think we talked about a, a Buddhist study that was done on it. What produces happiness? And I, I'm just curious if we can quickly talk uh, about yeah, that. I can answer that really easy. Okay. Speaking the mental, physical, and verbal actions 
of a being you want to actually be. Say that again. Taking the mental, physical, and verbal actions of a person that you're actually okay being. I love that. Um, I love that for a lot of reasons. I, I, for me personally, I have, I've spent so much time in the last few years really trying to design my life. I, I think lifestyle design is probably going to become a phrase that we hear a lot more of lately, especially with the great resignation and all of that. But to me, it wasn't just about starting my own business. It wasn't about starting this podcast. It was actually doing things in my life that felt like I was doing with integrity, mm-hmm. saying, thinking, being showing up for people. And that's, that's been such a major contributing, contributing factor to my own personal happiness and well-being. Yeah. So like, no matter what I'm looking at, like in therapy, and I'm not, I'm not a different person as a therapist than I am right now. Um, which if any of my patients ever listen to this, they'll probably be like, yeah, you sound like you. Which I'm like, Hopefully yeah. that's, that's good. But so I, don't, I mean, and I will, anyone who's also listening to this, who's a patient will also know that I am always late for the most part. And I'm always late because sooner or later in my day, given just the kind of experiences that folks have, we're going to have to do more. Yeah. Like, it's not like pain or flashbacks or shit like that, like clicks off with a timer. So like sometimes you go 20 minutes over because yeah. that's what we need to do. And the reason for doing that is I studied it a lot. If I do that action because I'm afraid of getting in trouble or afraid of my patient killing themselves or, oh, like I don't want to, you know, be liable, I'm going to be incredibly stressed during that extra 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, If I'm doing it because I don't want my patient to dislike me, which it's never actually a goal for patients to like me. If you like me, that's cool. If not, that's also like interesting, but it's not the goal. That's not what therapy is. Therapy is to be truthful and provide undivided attention. Yeah. You'd be skillful in how to relieve suffering. That that's my job, which is awesome. Yeah. But like, but if I do that 20 minutes, because like I wouldn't want my kid to suffer like this. If I was sitting there in front of a therapist and they spent extra 20 minutes just because my suffering mattered, well shit. That would make a difference or my wife or my sister or my brother or so why would my patient be any different than any of those folks? Because I'm not technically blood related. Whatever. Yeah. That's just random accident that we're not blood related. And given that I'm Buddhist and I believe in infinite past and future lives until I attain enlightenment, chances are they are my blood relative at some point. Yes. Like cockroaches or hell beings or some shit. So yeah. That's uh I, I don't know. I, I want I want this to come as co- come come across as genuinely as possible. You're a, you're a great person, and I've I've really really enjoyed I've, I've enjoyed the time we've had here, and I, I'm I'm hoping that we get a chance to at the very least talk again, if not do this again sometime <laughs> soon. Um, I would actually love to talk with you, and we can do it offline about um, where you did your studying um, and the type of Buddha, and the type of Buddhism that you've studied uh, because I, I I've, I've had an interest in it and I've never taken the leap to actually committing myself to practicing it so I, I, w- I would love to talk more about that at some point yeah sure that's totally cool that's awesome yeah I'm that is cool. Very- 
you say. Perfect. Well, Will, again, thank you very, very much. Um, before I let you go, I do have a few closing questions, and I, I hope I can bug you for a few more minutes. Uh, the first of which is, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear your answer on this. I, I, I want this to be as beneficial for you as it is for me. I mean, this, this last hour has been an incredible learning experience for me, and it's it helped me grow personally. So I like to ask the question, what resources are you looking for to continue your personal growth or professional growth? Because if somebody happens to be listening, I don't know, here in Columbus or, you know, in LA or somewhere in between, and they can help you out, I want them to have the chance to reach out and say, hey, let me, let me, let me do this for you. Okay. So that's actually a pretty easy one. I get super bored and frustrated with like kind of yelling at other professionals a lot on the phone, like psychiatrists, especially, or doctors or other therapists where I'm like, because so many of my patients' experiences is missed. Again, like most of the folks I see have been through like iteration after iteration of therapy, failure, misdiagnosis, even disbelief. Like despite what the FBI says about the proliferation of organized child pornography, which involves children, I meet a lot of professionals who are like, that's not possible. I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) so... If anyone out there is listening that like, say, for example, I don't know, teaches at the College of Social Work at OSU yeah, or uh, Capital or some other place like that, let me come and talk to your um, psychopathology classes. If you have a trauma class, give me a call. Like this is something I do on a relatively regular basis. I do a lot of training and consultation and stuff like that. So just from a professional standpoint, the more of us that are looking at other people as like, you know, like the product of cause and effect rather than like a diagnosis in a book or a problem to be fixed, man, the less patients I will have and the more referral sources I will have, which would be fantastic. And that's why I'll be working a lot less. That's perfect. Then you've got more time for parkour, right? Yeah, then my wife would really <laughs> I totally jacked myself in the face on the playground about a month ago. <laughs> my teeth right through my mouth. It was I oh. watched something I've done a million times and just and my daughter was of course like deeply unimpressed. She was right. like, a boo-boo. I'm like, yeah, I guess a hole in my face is a boo-boo. And we stayed for another 45 minutes until some other kid was like, Mister, you got a lot of blood in your boo. And I was like, <laughs> It's creepy at this point, isn't it? And the kid was like, yeah, it's yeah. kind of scary. And I was like, yeah, I'll just go to urgent care. And then they stitched up my face and that was cool. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, the next question I've got for you, um, I'm interested in hearing this as well. Uh, if you could name a book that's just had a profound impact in your life, what would that book be and why? Oh, easy. Shanti Deva, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life and the accompanying commentary to the text. Because the Shanti Deva itself, maybe a hundred pages long okay. commentary, like 600 pages long. Wow. Because well, the teaching was originally given to a bunch of like, you know, Buddhist monks in Northern India in like the seventh century, they had a lot of background information. Yeah. Um, and the reason that book is, is because every single verse is just the series of instructions. So like when you first go to boxing class and the dude says, or the lady says, you know, put your feet in the stance and just, I want you to just bounce. Now turn, now pivot, now bounce, now turn, now pivot. And a lot of people are like, you have one where you get to punch things. It's like, 
great, great. Just bounce and pivot. Yeah. Like you'll get there. It's an instruction manual and it's extremely concrete. Um, and so far in my experience, by following the instructions, the results are, have arisen exactly as my teacher said they would. So like, it's reliable to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you say like, I want to get strong and this guy's like, well, I should do a hundred pushups a day in this particular iteration. And if you actually do it, you're like, I got stronger. I'm probably going to follow that dude's fitness advice. Yes. Same. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I will absolutely have that linked uh, in the show notes and I, I would like to pick that up myself. Um, and then last but not least, I like to leave the audience with um, a call to action, whether it's a, a personal call to action that you live your life by, a call to action that you implore your your patients or your clients or the people you work with uh, that, to live their lives by. Just what, what call to action do you have to, to leave this conversation? Turn off your screen. That's fantastic advice. Look around. And all those people that were screaming at each other online, I don't know, like, if I'm sparring with someone who has a very different perspective on life, but man, we really enjoy sparring together. We just exchange ideas. He changes me a little, I change him a little, or I change her a little, or she changes me a little. Yes. And I can't do that on a screen. I agree. I think actually at this point in time, screens are highly divisive. I agree. I um, I, I stand by the my, by the, the 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 thought that the only way to have a real conversation is is like this, voice to voice, face to face. When you what you're doing with the keyboard, that's not a conversation to me. There's no nuance. There's no way to read people's intonations. There's no way to connect with somebody that way. And so I I, I cherish these moments and these conversations that we get to have. Yeah. And thank you very much for even in, inviting me. There's actually a great kindness. Absolutely. Well, you, you know that the person... It's really, uh, really easy, by the way, as an interviewer. I was a little like, I was like, oh man, like what the hell am I even going to talk about? You made this super easy. Oh, good. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. This is be- that's honestly the best compliment I can get. And obviously the person who uh, connected us, she she, she she loves you very much. And uh, it's, it's, uh, she spoke very highly of you. And I was very excited to, to have this conversation. And obviously we both know Lisa as well. And uh, I don't know, it's a good community. Yeah, it is. Thanks. Yeah, Lisa's super legit. So is yeah. our mutual person. She's a legit Absolutely. Person. Um, before, before we go, I want, uh, to give you the chance to, I know you're kind of an enigma online, but uh, if there's any place people can find you, I would love for you to share it. Um, I do have a website, but the website is there just to make me less creepy to potential, <laughs> just even most of what the kind of experiences most of my folks have, yeah. like a picture and a face and a little video and stuff like that online. Makes me way less creepy. Or if I was totally anonymous online, which I kind of prefer, that's yeah. actually creepy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah. Well, and I live in LA. It's like if you live in LA, you have to have a website. It's like yeah. you a website and a yoga mat. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will, I will have that there. If um, I mean, is it, do you, would you rather people contact you? Would they call you? What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I... I only look at my phone like twice a day. So like, yeah, email. Just Will at willrandall.com. Awesome. And if you spam me, I will probably respond. It took me six months, but the Biden campaign finally stopped asking me for money because I always respond by asking them for money. And they finally were like, dude, stop asking me for money. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> 
a real response. It took like six months, but I finally got one. So that's awesome. That yeah. that's fantastic. I, I love that. Will again, thank you so much. Um, I, I, if we're in the same city, I, I, I would love to connect with you uh, sometime in, in person. Have a have another conversation if you're up yeah. for it. And I, just, I appreciate everything. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much. I appreciate everything that you've done too, man. Once again, I would like to extend a huge thanks to Will for joining me on the podcast. If you would like to learn more about Will, please be sure to check out his website, willrandall.com. That's pretty much the only place you can find him online. If you're interested in any of the advanced topics we talked about here, you can check out the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. I did my best to take extensive notes and provide as many additional resources as I could. If you or someone you know is dealing with trauma, I would highly encourage you to reach out to Will or reach out to a therapist like him. There are always people ready and willing to talk and listen. I, of course, want to thank all of you for taking time out of your day for listening to the podcast. It means the world to me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mosaic Life podcast, I would be incredibly grateful if you would share it with a friend. That is how I'm able to continue doing this podcast, continue growing it, and continuing to reach new ears. Thank you all again so much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.